loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm talking with Brian Young. Brian's originally from Northern Virginia, but has lived in Utah since returning from his LDS mission. He attended school at Brigham Young University, where he met his wife, the former Alita Grant. Alita and Brian were able to graduate at the same time in geography and psychology, respectively, and Brian then remained at BYU for graduate school, receiving a master's in school psychology. Their daughter, Holland, was born shortly before Brian started his career with the Provo City School District, where he's still employed as a school psychologist. They're now parents of four children, Holland, Dallin, Nelson, and Hinckley. They currently live in Springville, Utah. Brian enjoys BYU sports, running, playing the guitar, writing music, as well as pop culture trivia, and is grateful for every chance he has to share his daughter Holland's story, including in his book, Meant for Heaven, that we'll be talking about today in hopes of helping other people. Welcome, Brian. Hey, how are you? I'm I'm well. Glad to have you here. Um Let's just start with a little bit about Holland, because when I got your bio, um, it was very um, interesting to me because um, there's always this complication in in how we talk about uh, a child who's died. And what I noticed is that you just didn't mention that part at all, which said to me she's very much alive to you. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's one of the real reasons I I wrote the book is because, um, you know, after after she passed away, we thought, how can we make sure that she's still a part of our family, and and um, we've been able to do that just by spiritual communication. But one way that we do that is we don't talk about her like she was never there. So often people say, oh, it's so awkward to talk about how many kids you have, and I was like, it's not awkward. I just say. I have four kids, and uh, and one of them maybe isn't living at home right now. And sometimes I'll say that to people, and they say, like, "Sounds like you have a kid at college or something like that." And I was like, "Well, she's kind of in a different college, I guess." <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope we continue to learn, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and at the very same time, um, I, I want you to share a bit of the story of her life here. Um, uh, in her physical body and um, I know uh, we can also make the mistake of uh, you know I for instance have what I would consider to be a very strong spiritual relationship with my wife who died and there was still a tremendous loss in her body failing so for me it's sort of both true and I I'm very intent on this show and including both. So can you talk some about um, Holland and her life and, and um, her death? Yeah, for sure. And, I, and I, I've, if I don't touch on it, make sure that I, I remember to touch on that point. Of, of it. I think it is important to say that 
we can have a spiritual relationship and still miss their physical body. I think those are two different relationships. But um, I'll start talking about just when she was three. She had just turned three right after her third birthday. She started complaining of headaches. Um, and uh, she started throwing up, um, couldn't sleep at night, would just wake up screaming all through the night. And um, we'd taken her to the doctor, and he said, well, I don't quite know what it is. Um, so long story short, we ended up uh, getting an MRI. And the MRI, um, as soon as she was out of it, our pediatrician called us up and said, you need to go to uh, the Children's Hospital in Salt Lake City as fast as you can and, and get down there. And um, the neurosurgeon will talk to you about um, abnormalities in the uh, MRI, which was certainly a, a long drive in um, emotionally. And we got there, and, and they showed us the scans that showed that she had a, a, a brain tumor about the size of a, of a golf ball um, on her cerebellum, which is the back left part of her brain. And then off of the, uh, the tumor, she had a, a cyst about the size of a small orange. And, and so in a, you can imagine a three-year-old that took up a lot of space, and, and that was what was causing the headaches. And it was closing the ventricles off in her brain and, and causing swelling. And so they, they said, you know, we need to go in tomorrow and do surgery as quickly as we can. And, um, and that was certainly a, a rough night <laughs> for us as a family. <laughs> to say the uh, least, I'm yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, but I think you know I think it was interesting, and and you probably can relate to this. And when they told us all the information, it was kind of this numb feeling of okay, all right, sure, brain tumor, I get it, you know. But when I first had that time to be alone with my thoughts, it just kind of flooded into me of the reality of the situation that you know this is this is serious. You know, brain tumor is about as serious as it gets, and. Um, especially in especially in a in a um, tiny person, a three year old yeah. person. Uh, one of my grandsons is three, so of course his his little face comes to my mind, and you know, active, verbal, uh, uh, fully engaged. You know, fast forward. Yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, three. Yeah, that's exactly who she was. You know, she was she was super engaged and, and always had this big smile on her face and was just had this huge energy of, uh, that she approached life with. And, and so, yeah, just kind of going from that to, oh, wow, you know, she might, even if, even if she lives, she's probably going to have complications from this. And, um, so, again, long story short, um, they were able to remove that brain tumor, and it was a, it was a, a grade one tumor. It was a juvenile pilocytic astrocytoma. Which we we've we've learned to just spit these medical terms out over the years. Yes, it's like going to medical school, living yeah. with illness, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get that crash. It's like getting a PhD in medicine when you have a loved one go through cancer. But uh, so she had that, and um, there were they had to do some additional surgeries. But over that summer, she had four surgeries, and they got everything removed. And at that point, the doctors basically said, you know, it was, it was a benign tumor. Everything should be fine. Uh, and so that was, that, she first got diagnosed in June of, uh, of 2012. And then um, in December of 2012, she started to get headaches again. And, and it just felt too familiar. And, and so we, we took her back up to the Children's Hospital in Salt Lake. And they did some scans and showed that... Um, the tumor had grown back to the size of about a quarter, but then um, the cyst that filled the rest of the space was about the size of a grapefruit, and again, it put that pressure on her brain. And 
Mm. And later, later scans showed that it had mutated from a stage one to a stage two, and it was a pilomyxoid astrocytoma, so slightly more aggressive. Um, but they were able to do surgery again and, and get everything removed, but because of the aggressive nature of it, and then she started chemotherapy, um, and which was, you know, I, I think in your mind you kind of have what that's going to be like, and, and honestly, she, she handled that really well. Um, she still had a lot of energy. Uh, she got sick a lot, you know, and, and, and was more tired and stuff like that. But generally, I think the average person would not have looked at her and thought that's a kid that has cancer. Uh, mm-hmm. And so yeah. it, was, it was, even though it was really overwhelming and, and, just, and, and just tiring, I, think, I always liken it to a roller coaster, you know. It's scarier when you look at the roller coaster from the outside, but when you're on the, the ride, you just kind of throw your hands up and enjoy it. And I think that's kind of... <laughs> Maybe you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's true. Some people hate their life the entire time they're on the ride. Yeah. <laughs> for us, One of my kids kind of, hates them and another loves them. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I guess, I guess me as a, as a roller coaster lover uh, kind of had that attitude but but you know i still get emotion sick or, or i said emotion but motion sick every now and then but i guess it's emotion sick too um you know where sometimes you you feel like throwing up afterwards but it was just a it was a crazy ride it was uh, worth worth the thrill yeah yeah i mean and that you know we just kind of enjoyed life and there was hard times there was ups and downs um and then in june of 2013 um we had a six-month follow-up scan that showed that not only had the tumor returned, but it had spread down her spine and throughout her brain. And uh, later sh- tests would show that it was actually an entirely different type of tumor. It was a, um, um, a medulloblastoma, which is, comes out of the middle of, of the brain. And so um, it was honestly unrelated to the other tumors, uh, which was, which is very rare. Um, her, her, uh, Oncologist said that uh, she did research and could only find two other op- or two other incidences of this being documented as happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was super super rare. And both of those were in adults who had had radiation, and so it was it was was really rare, especially in that quick time span. And and you know about a year's time, she had three different types of brain tumors. Um, and and so then we started more aggressive chemo. And the more aggressive chemo certainly started to take its toll on her, and she got a lot more sick. Um, she was a lot more moody, kind of lost that normal love of life that she had. She was a lot more irritable, and um, and it was it was a lot harder. She threw up almost daily, and and was just really sick. And I I remember um, I remember a story. I think I shared in the book, but. Uh, about a week before she passed away. Um, I mean, and that, that was the thing. We still never really had an idea that she was going to pass away. Mm. Um, the doctors were fairly optimistic that they had a good treatment plan in place to help her. Um, and, and it was after her last chemo appointment, she was telling me, you know, Daddy, I don't, I don't want to take that yucky medicine anymore. And we said, you know, and I kind of sat her down and I explained it to her. You know, I was like, I know this it doesn't taste good. I know it makes you sick, but, you know, if, if you didn't take it, then you would you die, and mommy and daddy would be really sad, and we'd miss you. And she goes, "I know, but I'm not going to take it anymore." You know, and mm-hmm. we kind of had this this kind of lighthearted conversation about it. But I, I, in honest, all honesty, that was the last time that she ended up taking the chemo meds. So I, I always wonder if she she kind of knew. 
kind of new, which isn't yeah. unusual with kids, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I feel as if you captured her her actual um, passing so vividly, and I wonder if you would share that part of your book with us. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, so this is so I should say that she had a she had a seizure um, in early uh, August in 2013, and uh, and then we took her back to the hospital. And after the seizure, she was fairly unresponsive. They had done some scans um, that showed that in about a month and a half, the tumor had pretty much taken over her entire brain, and mm. she was brain dead. And uh, and the doctors had said, you know, we uh, we only she probably at most has about a, a month, month and a half, and 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 we we had you know being people of faith, we we prayed about it, and um, we went to our temple um, in Salt Lake and and made it a matter of prayer, and we just felt you know this was uh, that it was her time to go, and and we felt at peace with it, and we felt that it would happen probably sooner than the mm. doctors thought, and so we we came back. Um, after you know, the temple came back to the hospital, and within about six hours, she had another seizure, and and uh, they basically said she's brain dead, and if we take her off the breathing tubes, then she'll die. And I, so that's kind of where I pick up in in this part of the book. Um, and so it's because another child in critical condition had just life lighted into the PICU, uh, they asked if we uh, could delay pulling her breathing tube. We told them that we were in no hurry to see our daughter die and that they um, should devote their full energy to the other child. Um, each of my family members said their goodbyes, uh, my mother leaving last of all and giving Holland a kiss on her forehead. Alita and I uh, were alone with Holland again. Her skin was ice cold, and her temperature had steadily dropped to about 93 degrees Fahrenheit. Other parents walked by and looked in our room. I saw their faces and knew the look that they gave us, because I had given others that look many times myself. At least my kid doesn't have it as bad as that kid. I'd think as I walked past the hallways of the PICU and saw other parents sitting by their dying children. At Primary Children's, which is the hospital that we were at, um, there's always someone who has it worse than you. And it puts your trials into perspective. But today, I was on the other end of those stairs. We were the family that was giving other families hope and added perspective. At this moment, no one else in the hospital could look at us and think, I wish I could trade places with them. We officially had it worse than anyone else in the hospital. Um, as I waited for the doctors to pull our child's last tie to this mortal world, finally, a doctor and nurse stood quietly in the doorway, prepared to pull the breathing tube. We nodded and moved back as they removed the shunts and tubes and wires that had kept her alive for the last several hours. They warned us that because she had shown the ability to take a few breaths on her own, that she may struggle to try to breathe when they pulled the tube, which might prolong her life for a few hours at most. But we knew that her fight was gone. Uh, she, she had been blessed with peace, and we were ready to let her go. At 1.30 a.m., they pulled the breathing tube invited us to lay with her. Alita laid on her right side and I on her left. For the next 15 minutes, we each held her hands. As I laid my hand on her chest, I felt her heart beat. It was slow and then began to speed up faster and faster. At one point, it felt like it would beat right out of her chest. But then it peaked and began to slow down again. 
Her heartbeats came slower and slower until it was hard to feel her heartbeat at all. Finally, at 1.45, her tiny heart beat its final beats, and the machine gave off a steady monotone hum. Then an alarm went off, indicating to the nurse that she had died. She turned off the alarm, and the attending doctor declared the time of death to be 1.45 a.m. on Sunday, August 4th, 2013. The doctor and nurse quietly left the room, giving us some time to be alone with her. I got up from the bed and let go of her icy fingers. My heart shattered as I looked down at the corpse that now lay on the bed. The body that, that was not my vibra- vibrant young four-year-old, the color and the life had completely left her body. In that moment, began to sob ha- harder than I ever had allowed myself to cry. This was the pain and anguish that I had dreaded. My soul ached as I looked down. It was over. There was nothing we could do to bring her back. Between heart-wrenching sobs, I looked at Alita and asked, how can we move on? How can we ever be happy again? How can I go to work or a football game or watch TV and ever expect to feel joy again? Any chance of happiness died with Holland. It was all lost, and it was not coming back. Without a doubt, this was the greatest pain I have ever felt and hoped to ever feel. Quite literally, a very real part of my own soul died, and I was not sure I could bear it. But with the help of my wife, who reminded me that I still had life to live for, I was able to regain my composure, and we both knew this moment was coming. And once it was here, it was both surreal and more real than anything we had experienced. Both surreal and more real, that captures my attention. We'll, we'll continue from there when we come back after the break. And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America, and you can find Brian Young at MeantForHeaven.com. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Brian Young, whose four-year-old daughter, Holland, died of cancer, about uh, the book he wrote, Meant for Heaven, and his perspective now on on that loss and and what it grew in him. And before the break, Brian, um, you were reading the part of your book that describes Holland dying, and uh, I was saying to you on the break that I've had the experience that you know, of course, that really, really touches me um, every time someone reads about their loss on air. But it also often affects the person who's reading it. And um, so I appreciate you being willing to to kind of return to that moment. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think as, as I was telling you before, I, I think... You know, you kind of you kind of get to this point. You don't necessarily move on. I don't think anybody really fully moves on, but you get to a point where you you kind of accept a different form of life, if if you will. And, and mm. but you kind of need to go back to that moment of realizing at that moment you didn't you didn't have an eternal perspective. You didn't have a big picture. You just had life was gone. Where once there was life, now there wasn't. Yes, and and that's true. Uh, you know, we have extremely different spiritual traditions, you and I, but we both have them. Yeah. And and I had that when my wife died. You had that when Holland died. And grief is uh, still completely necessary. You know, you can't you you can't um, spiritualize your way out of it. It's it's a real. It's a real thing. Yeah. Well, uh, it's did, a real... Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I'm sure you've seen the movie uh, recently came out, The uh, Collateral Beauty mm-hmm. uh, with Will Smith. You know, there, there's a scene in there where he talks about, you know, all the different religions teach all these different things, but none of them let me hold her hand again. You know, and I think, I think that's true. You know, no matter what your, your spiritual perspective is, no matter where you are able to conceptualize what death is, none of them bring them back like they were, you know? And, and if that's what you long for, if that's the only way you can have happiness, then it's, it's going to be a hard, hard go. Um, but if you can find meaning in something beyond that physical relationship, then that, then there, I, I believe that there's power in that. There's, there's healing in that. Um, like you said, everybody has different spiritual beliefs that, that help them or, or sometimes hurt them. But uh, but I think it, it allows us to to believe in something more. That's that's interesting. What you say, spiritual beliefs help help them and sometimes hurt them. Because one reason um, I I was very um, I was you know wanting you to come on the show is that um, it's true that people's 
uh, beliefs can hurt them in the sense that, uh, you know, I, ju- I just sang it at, f- at a funeral yesterday. Um, someone in my choir, her husband died. And I've noticed that the way that things get talk about, talked about at, um, by ministers and, and, and other um, religious people has changed. I go to a lot of, a lot of memorials and funerals. Um, it's changed. There's more room for grief than I used to experience in a lot of churches. Um, there, there isn't a sense if you really believe, then you'll celebrate, not be sad which is the way that I used to hear it expressed a lot, um, which puts grieving people in a very tough spot. Uh, yeah, that, what's wrong with you? Why don't you, you what, know, get with the program and believe in Jesus like everybody else? Is, you know, that kind of idea, I think, can be really r- painful for people. Very painful and leaves them without the resource that they depend on. Uh, you know, having some having a spiritual belief system is a very strong support but if you feel as if you're doing it wrong because you're in pain it's not a resource yeah yeah i mean yeah go go ahead well it just seems as if you didn't experience a whole lot of that 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 um your community um did make room for your pain and grief as well as your belief in something beyond yeah and well that, that, that's exactly where i was going to go is is i think i think a lot of people expected us to to get stuck in that a little bit longer um but you know and I, I talk about this in the in the book but having fairly quickly after she died having experiences knowing that she was still there in a different sense, you know, the spiritual communication and, and having the sense of her reaching out to us gave us this perspective of, of something beyond. The, 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 you know, we would never really be able to, to hold her hand and, and watch cartoons and play like we did before, but that she was now something else and, and we could develop a relationship with, with that um, part of her, um, I think brought us a lot of peace. And that that wasn't necessarily something a, a preacher or a pastor or a bishop in our, our case could offer us. It was something that we had to, to figure out on our own. Mm. I think I say that in the book is, you know, I, I wrote this book to try to help people kind of figure that out, but, but the book isn't going to answer that question for somebody. When you, when you lose a loved one, it's an individual journey. And, and I mean, my personal belief is that, you know, Jesus Christ can take that journey with us, but Nobody else really can, As, you know, even, even our spouse or our, our other loved ones, we're all on an individual journey coming to grips with, do we really believe that there is more to, than what we just see? And, and if we can get that, then I, I feel like we tap into something that is more than, than just the first breath to the last breath. But I think a lot of people have a hard time seeing beyond that. And I, like I said, I don't think a, a pastor... Um, can offer that to you as much as you have to figure it out yourself through your own personal relationship, not only with God, but through your your loved one. I I agree. And also, uh, I find it, uh, you know, because I'm a grief counselor, as well as doing this show, I talk to a lot of people in grief, and almost all of them are having experiences where they're feeling their 
loved one with them. Uh, and it's it always different things. Like I, I have a close friend who lost someone and she's had lots of losses, but that particular person always comes in the form of a butterfly to her. You know? yeah. <laughs> and there's, um, you know, I, I have my own ways. But what I find is people are very tentative about describing those experiences of feeling the person they've lost with them because uh, there's been so much uh, out in the ether about um, closure and um, putting that person down and going, you know, all these things that are about ending the relationship. And so I think people are sometimes embarrassed to say that they're still... Uh, carrying that person with them in their life. Yeah, I, I think that I, I used to, we went to some grief counseling groups and, and I kind of came up with the phrase of, you know, you kind of realize, you know, people talk about filling the hole. You never really fill that hole, but what you do is you realize some things are designed to have holes in them, right? Donuts and Swiss cheese and these kind of things are designed to have holes in them and they're perfect <laughs> that way. I love that. (laughs) Rather than fill that hole is just realize, you know, with that donut somewhere else, somebody else is enjoying that donut hole in a different place, but you're enjoying that donut and, and there's always going to be that hole in you as to rather than trying to fill it is just appreciate it for what it is. Put more sugar on. (laughs) (laughs) Could you share, because it's right in line with what we're talking about that the, um, the part of your your book that's about what you miss and what you come came to have. Yeah, yeah. Um, just okay. Yeah, I mean, so this is this is quite a bit after um, she had passed away. It said we we were pained as we watched other children starting preschool and kindergarten, knowing that Holland would never go to school as she had always wanted. Um, when she went to, the, or when we went to the movies, we were sad that she would never watch them. When we saw her friends playing, we thought of the games she would never play. There was pain in the thoughts of the milestones we would not see in this life: school, baptism, missions, weddings, all the things you look forward to as a young parent. Though we were haunted by what um, we would never do in this life, we found joy and what she did do, and what she was now capable of doing. We found peace in the work that she was now doing for the Lord, that her real mission was now being fulfilled. There was also a sense of joy and relief that she was no longer in pain. It had been hard to watch her deteriorate and not be able to do all that she wanted to do. And now she was not limited by disease and fatigue. When, she thought, when we thought back to all of the fun memories They made us smile and laugh, but they would also bring tears to our eyes as we thought about not being able to create new memories anymore. We knew thoughts, uh, or we knew, um, though, that this was God's will for her, that uh, that often took away the sting of those moments and conversations. Many times as Alita and I sat on the couch talking about Holland, we would both be able to feel her presence in the room. It was hard to describe but it was clear she was there to comfort us in times of need. We would almost point to where she was in the room, but we could not see her or touch her. As time has passed, these events have decreased in frequency, but we continue to find ways to feel her with us. We've always been amazed at the times that we have been doing something as a family 
that she would have loved. And then we get in the car, and the first song that comes on the radio is Paradise by Coldplay or Trouble by Taylor Swift. As these songs have become less and less popular, it becomes more and more miraculous every time they find a way to sneak into our family moments. They always bring smiles to our faces and tears to our eyes, depending on the moment. This is exactly what I was talking about a few minutes ago, that that there are these things that happen um, that that you just feel the person there, and it's not a logical thing. Um, you know, including uh, many people have a different sort of dream about the person where it doesn't feel like a dream or... Um, uh, one of the funny ones I have is when I can't find a parking place and I never ever pray for specific things I always pray for the best outcome but <laughs> I I somehow accidentally one time prayed to find a parking place show me my perfect parking place was the thought that came to my mind <laughs> and, and there, there it was and now I do it regularly so I've I've decided that parking, you know, parking prayers are one of the few ways that <laughs> that she's allowed to influence <laughs> my life. <laughs> you know, that makes no sense whatsoever. Well, but, but it yeah, but it does but, in in your experience, right? In my experience and and I don't really care the reality of it as much as every time it happens, uh I smile. I feel connected. You know, yes. I feel um, a, a sense of continuing presence in a life that's very different. Um, and, and uh, you know, she died over 20 years ago. She died in 1995. Well, that's 22, isn't it? Um, but but that connection is not broken. It's, it's there's, I, I agree with you, there's an empty place in the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But not, but not. Uh, not overall. Yeah, I think something that you hit on is the idea that, you know, time keeps moving for us. You know, we, we've we had two children since Holland died, and, you know, our our, older, or, you know, our oldest son at the time, he was one when she passed away, and he'll be turning five in July. And, and so now he's at the point, he's hitting milestones that Holland never got to hit. And we, so we see time continue to move on, um, you know, on our other children. And, and there's certainly some pain in that, but then, then I think, you know, time moves on for her too. You know, time might be different, but, but she's doing something, you know, and I might not know all the details or, or intricacies of that, but I, but I know that she's, she continues to exist. And, and my personal belief, it's not just sitting on a cloud somewhere. I think, I think that she, she's actively engaged in something. And, um, and that, I think brings, that brings a piece to me. Like I said, everybody's religious views are different. Um, but you talked about your friend who sees the butterfly and I talked about hearing the songs or, you know, finding that parking space. They find ways to let us know that they're still there and they might not make logical sense, but you feel it in your heart. You know, you, you have a spirit inside of you. And that's my belief. And I think most people believe in that in some extent. Um, you have a spirit inside of you and if they still exist spiritually, then there's still that spiritual connection, that spiritual um, communication that's capable but it's not going to be the same across the board it's not going to be a uh, you know it's, it's not necessarily a written language that we can just re- reproduce and teach everybody it's something sure. to, 
individually create with that person and and, and your own just the same as any other relationship yeah you, you can't even t- you can't tell someone how to be married have you noticed yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it's the same you have to make a marriage with another person that works for you as a twosome uh, so so I think that's always true just just because people's beliefs are so different I want to say that I don't I don't um, I find this works just as well with people who don't believe in anything after um, after life mm-hmm. um, because we are once we're connected we're connected and even if you think that's a psychological thing yeah you know it still exists um, yeah. I want well, one thing I'll say to that you know is, is I'm a psychologist by profession and I remember a lot of people saying, like, wow, well, you're handling this so well because you're a psychologist. And for me personally, the psychology helped, you know, having that background and all my coworkers being psychologists helped. But for me personally, the religious aspect helped. But I think there's, that doesn't mean we throw that baby out with the bathwater, you know, the, the, that psychological relationship, that idea of finding meaning in their life, even if you don't believe in an afterlife in any form, there's still that meaning of their life, the 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 imprint that their life left on the world. Um, that, that and, on, and on us. And yeah, on us. Yeah. They, they stamp themselves upon us. Yeah, yeah. Um, the people we love. Uh, of course, the same is true of the people who are still living. They've, they've stamped themselves upon us. But we just get to keep, you know, waking up and looking at them in the morning. So it's a different yeah. experience. So yeah. Let's continue on with that when we get back. I'd, I'd like to talk more both about that idea of continued relationship and, and about some of the things I know you've done to foster that, um, you know, in terms of music and practice and that kind of thing. So let's talk about that when we get back. Yeah. And listeners, you can go to my website at weatheringgrief.com. Please let me hear from you. I want to know what keeps you listening, what what you um, particularly appreciate, and what you want to see more of or different. And to find Brian Young, go to meantforheaven.com. Back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Mm-hmm. 
listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Brian Young, author of Meant for Heaven. And uh, before the break, we were uh, talking in a way that I found very warming and wonderful about this continued connection with the people we've lost um, that that carries the relationship into our, our present and future. Um, and... Uh, I, I, I would like to touch a little bit on how that maybe impacts, you told me on the break you're sitting in your office at school um, having this talk, and uh, so you work around children, and I wanted to hear your thoughts on, you know, how you bring um, a, a deeper awareness of death, which you have, of course, because of Holland, uh, into that work, do you find it affects the way you talk to kids about their own, uh, you know, experiences and losses? Yeah, I remember, and I'm not sure if I even put this in the book, I might not have, but I remember when, before she even died, like, because all of her original sickness happened during the summer when I wasn't working, and when I was headed back to, to school, I, I thought, I don't know how I'm going to do this. You know, how can I, how can I listen to a kid complain about being bullied or, or, you know, breaking up with their boyfriend or girlfriend and, and feel some kind of empathy for them when, when I have such a large trial going on in my own life. But I, I felt I, I experienced it even after she died, I felt this even more. It did the exact opposite. It, it helped me to see that everybody's dealing with something, you know, everybody's mm. in the midst of something that's all encompassing to them. And whether it is a death or, or you know, uh, breaking up with a boyfriend or girlfriend or, or a bully or, you know, even though on paper losing a, a daughter might seem bigger than that, for that person at that moment, that's, that's all encompassing for them. And so it really kind of helped me to, to put that perspective into places that it's not about the, the, how big a trial looks on paper. It's about what it means to you personally in that moment. So I think it did help me in my own personal uh, uh, career, um, just working with kids, is, is helping them to see that. Is, this is really all-encompassing right now, but it does, you know, it, when you, you move down the, the road a little bit, it'll change your perspective. I, I remember one kid particularly, and actually, this, I worked with him when Holland was sick, before she died, but his dad was dying, um, had advanced diabetes and, and complications with that. And I remember, you know, in, in the schools, working in schools, I don't do a lot of spiritual stuff, but this kid was really struggling with that, you know, this element of what happens when my dad dies. And, um, and, and we were able to kind of, you know, and he, he had dropped out of school and was ready to just kind of, he was a senior in high school, but he was ready to be done. And I, you know, I was able to pull him in and just kind of taking my perspective of where we were at with Holland at that time, just to say, you know, um, we'll figure that out. You know, we, we don't need to know all the answers to that to, to be able to move on. And, and I think that helped him and he was able to, to come back to school and to graduate and end up going to college. And, and it really, 
to me helps that, you know, his, his religious viewpoints might have been slightly different than mine, but um, just that idea of not needing all the answers, but just needing some kind of hope and faith in something more, um, regardless of the trial, I think gives us all something to move forward. I, I, as I mentioned in the break, I was at um, I was singing at a funeral yesterday, and um, the minister in that funeral was talking about taking the baton. That that the man who had died, he has a teenage son, and um, so he was talking about how his dad had passed him the baton now. And he was going to do the next race of the relay, uh, and and kind of seeing seeing himself as part of the race, um, you know, one part's done and the next part is is happening, um, and and that's what came to my mind when you were just talking about this young man that in a way he has his life then to go ahead and and live in the best way he can. Um, you know, he's been given what he's got, and he goes forward from there. And one, one thing I'll, I'll mention, too, is with my own kids, um, like I said, my other son, or my oldest son, Dallin, was a year old, and so he really doesn't have very many, many memories of Holland. There's some pictures of them together, and our, my other kids didn't know her at all. Um, but yet they talk about her quite frequently mm-hmm. as a very real part of our family. Just the other day, um, we were at my parents' house, and... and uh, um, they were talking about brothers and sisters, and, and my son Nelson, who just turned three, um, was saying, "You know, I've got I've got a brother. His name is Dallin." And then they said, "Well, who are your sisters?" And he's like, "Well, I've got Baby Hinkley." And then my mom, I think, expected him to be done there, and he goes, "And I have Holland." And and I think my mom was kind of taken back that he he recognized that he had this sister that he's never met in this life. He doesn't have any memories of, but he has a very real relationship with. Um, and it might be very different than the relationship that the normal brothers and sisters have, but I think she's still very involved in his life. Yes, there's a there's a very good book. I I interviewed the uh, the author Alison Gilbert. It's called Past and Present. P A S S E D and Present, mm-hmm. and uh, it's about how to cultivate relationship with uh, you know on a practical level with the people we've lost um you know she's she's got sections on tattoos and and art projects and cooking and you know yeah. um it and i and i do believe as a as a grief uh counselor that's so so important for kids because they if it's not integrated it um you know it affects them that for instance, let's take your family. Since it affects you, you and Alita, that Holland was here and died, and and it affects you that she's part of your life. Um, it's going to affect them whether you bring them into it or not. And you know, it can end up being this sort of secret thing that that uh, doesn't work very well for kids at all. So I appreciate what you're saying that they they kind of. Um, they're in the same world you are in that way. You all have a relationship with Holland. Yeah, and it is, it's very different. But like you said, I think, it, I think it's important because I've seen that certainly families in other ways, they just kind of don't talk about it a lot. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, 
but I, I think for us personally, we kind of wanted to make sure that, you know, like you said, I mean, she was a very real part of our life and always will be. And so we wanted her to be a part of the kids' lives as well. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of this thing I haven't thought about for a long time. Um, my youngest kid was two and a half when my wife died. And we knew it was coming, so we did things like um, uh, got out a stethoscope, let her hear heartbeats, told her, you know, the heartbeat stops. But we were talking with her about how she would still be able to have a relationship with her. And uh, my wife said, it'll be like having a guardian angel. And I'll look, I'll look after you. You know, she just said some things about um, what she was committing to. Um, but my daughter heard garden angel. Mm. And so um, she's, she's let it go now. She's 24. But <laughs> for a long, long time, every time um, we were in a pretty garden or something, she would talk about her garden angel. <laughs> which was a lovely rewrite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of um, that sense of of um, gone but present. Yeah. And I wonder if you'd read that section of your book that's that's really about that. Yeah, sure. Um, here. It is also important to note that we consist of a physical body and a spiritual body. Though our loved ones may be separated from their physical bodies, they are very much alive in spiritual form. And as we enliven the senses of our spiritual bodies, um, we will learn how to feel their presence and communicate with them. So often after death of a loved one, one uh, loved one, we strive to see them again, to hear their voice, to touch their skin, to smell their scent, to say one last I love you, or to give one last kiss. In short, we try to make them physical again so that we can communicate with them physically. But the answer is not to change in, in changing them, it is in changing us. As we strengthen our spiritual senses, we begin to interact with these loved ones spiritually, since our spiritual bodies and their spiritual bodies are still very much intact. The idea of spiritual communication is very hard for some people to understand. I'll attempt to try and explain it in using a couple metaphors. Imagine if we kept our eyes closed for 20 years or so, we would find that when we opened them, we would not be able to see as we once did. Our eyes would be weakened to the point that it would make it hard to trust the things we saw. The same is true of our spirits. If we spent a lifetime denying our spiritual senses, then how can we be expected to trust the feelings and promptings that can only be explained by the Spirit? There are angels all around us. They're consistently guiding us, prompting us, pushing us, and moving us but we refuse to or sometimes are unable to trust our spirit, spiritual senses enough to know that. After decades of neglect, our spiritual abilities can become atrophied. Much like when we start to exercise for the first time, we begin to push the limits of our weakened muscles and they become stronger and can be trusted and pushed more and more. Similarly, as we trust in our spiritual senses, we can recognize these spiritual beings that are all around us. We will find not only that we begin to recognize their presence, but that we can become spiritually stronger ourselves and have more spiritual promptings. We can grow to the point that we can trust our spiritual senses more than our physical ones. Uh, 
So in these last few minutes, Brian, um, I want to say a word, too, for my recognition of how you nurture this, because I know that you uh, have a, we have in common music as a way to connect, um, as a way to feel emotions, but also to feel what's kind of beyond us. I happen to sing in a gospel choir, so that's all about <laughs> what's, yeah, yeah, yeah. what's beyond us and, the, and you know, that um, it's an interfaith choir, um, but it, it connects all of us to that, to what's beyond the here and now. And I know that you also write songs and, and sing, and I wonder if there are any other ways that you um, have of connecting that might be helpful to other people to know about. We only have two minutes left, but uh, okay. Okay. any final words? Yeah, I think, because in the end, that's why I wrote the book, is that idea of com- communicating with them. Uh, like you said, there is that musical element, and um, I always kind of wrote songs in high school and didn't really think much of it, but now it does become a form of of communication with her. But for me personally, the thing that, that helps is is, is worship, you know, as I, I feel as I become closer to God, I become closer to her. And, um, so I've worked out in my schedule, you know, I always, I go to my church meetings on, on Sunday, but then on Mondays, I usually, I go to, uh, my temple, uh, for, in our religion, which is, is a place of, of sacred worship where we, we feel like we connect a little bit more beyond this earth. And, and so every Monday I go there and, and I, I generally, can feel her presence there. Um, mm. I feel like when when I go to her grave, I remember her body, you know, and that I remember those moments of watching cartoons and playing games. When I go to the temple, I I I know I remember who she is now. And, mm. and for me, that's that's been the biggest thing. And I I've gone every every week, um, and it's just that individual time with just me and her and and God. And and you know, you might not have a temple or something, but I think having time in your day or your week yes it just just be with we're, them we're gonna have to leave it right there but i think that i like that last thing we can all find some way to connect and and uh, and make that contact so thanks for being with me no thanks and for having me Next week, I'm going to have Patricia Bahia. This is in line with what we're talking about, too. Her diagnosis with ovarian cancer propelled her into living the life she most wanted, committing to music as her career and prompting her to write songs out of her experience with cancer. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.